who would speak through Kevin this morning, that we would really hear what your spirit wants our body to hear, that you would open each one of our eyes and hearts to hear personally the message you have for us, and then to really take that and do something with it. And I thank you for Kevin's willingness to do this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Leslie. Hello. 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 Hey, fam. So, hey, that sounds like it's working. Josh, can we all give it up for Josh? Thanks. Thanks. So, I'm, uh, I'm Kevin. And I actually knew what I was getting myself into by responding to that email, Leslie. I've been around you guys long enough to know what happens when you respond to open-ended questions like that. But but, um, here I am, and uh, I I know a lot of you, I know most of you, uh, but if you don't know me, uh, we moved here a year ago or so, my wife Brittany and I. And uh, we, we belong here. The Lord really led us here with all of you weirdos. And, 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 we, and we really love being here. And it's been really, it's been really great. There's a... Well, I won't get into that because I'm going to talk about it later. But I've prepared a brief speed dating-esque you know, summary of myself for you guys if, in case you don't know me. So we're going to jump right into that. I've been married to Brittany, my lovely wife, for about five years, over five years now. And God's really grown me a lot through my marriage. Uh, My marriage will make frequent appearances in my testimony uh, of the last seven years or so of my life when I talk about the things that God is doing in my life or through me. And and I love her a lot. She's really great. I'm a twin. I have really odd nervous tics. The most unusual that I think I've ever had is, I think when I was about nine, I got addicted to the L sound. So like saying, ooh, like that. It just like, felt really good on the back of my tongue. I don't know, it's, I mean, it's super weird. So I would, I would repeat words that had L's in them, like, <laughs> which when you pray, which is funny, because I kind of sound like Gollum. He's like, Gollum, Gollum. But I'd, I'd be praying or something, um, and you know, you say Lord, but I'd say it twice because it just like felt so good. So I'd like kind of like say it, and I'd like say it under my breath again. And this lasted for I don't know, maybe a month or two. And I, what I periodically have to do is I'll always be like, okay, Kevin, don't fidget, don't do this. And I can, I always have to be doing something. And um, so I just like shuffle these nervous ticks around to less noticeable things. Which right now, for the last few years, it's been my eyebrows. Which if you ever watch me like read or something, you'll kind of notice I'm just like. Shh. And Brittany always gets on to me. Because she's like, what are you doing with your face? You're like, you look so mad. Or confused. But anyways, the most mortifying moment of my life, um, I actually had two, but I'm only going to share one. You can ask me about the other one later. Maybe I'll summarize it. So it probably was in, uh, ooh, this is tough. I'll just share one. I'll tell you the other one later. But uh, probably in fourth grade, I was on a school camping trip, and Ed Ferris, this scrawny little, little kid, uh, correctly guessed that I had a crush on Samantha Ulrich and was like threatening to go leave the tent and tell her and I was like it's like the only time one of the only times I've ever really resolutely resorted to just physical violence to solve a problem and I like I'm like crying and I stand up in front of the tent entrance and with as much like venom and violence as a nine-year-old can muster in their voice I like tell him you're not getting out of this tent (laughs) and he didn't I tackled him and bent him to the ground, and she never found out. 
And she probably won't listen to this recording on the website. The, the other time is when I pulled a chair off from under a girl in class in eighth grade to, uh, she was sitting down to be funny because I wanted the older guys in the class to like, you know, bring me into their social sphere and be, you know, comfortable for the rest of my middle school years. And I worked, it was really funny, she broke her tailbone. And <laughs> it was, she, she was one of my sister's best friends and she was uh, formerly a cross country runner. <laughs> That's bad news. Um, I, I struggled fiercely with depression and codependency and anxiety um, for most of my life. And praise the Lord, I can report that our God is still in the business of healing and delivering his people. And he does so in a multitude of ways. I love talking about that if you want to talk to me after um, or at any point while I'm alive. And I love God. I, I really do. I've had a rich, somewhat tumultuous relationship with him. Um, I've hated him, I've been overjoyed by him, I've been blessed by him, I've been loved by him, I've been saved by him, I've been taught by him, I've been encouraged by him, rebuked and challenged by him and his people and his spirit um, and through the teachings of Jesus Christ. And, and, and he has changed me, significantly changed me. My identity, my character, my mannerisms, the things I care about and love are significantly different than, than when I was first getting to know him or before I knew him. And if you would like to hear more about that, uh, talk to Ryan Pluche afterward about my year as a freshman in the same core with him. We already heard Did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think Garrett sold me out uh, and Focus already this last week. So if you were at, you know, TNF, then you already heard it. So uh, now that we know each other pretty well, you know, convincing you of the rest of the things I have written down up here should be a lot easier. But I was spending time with God, like Leslie said, praying about this. And just asking him what he wanted me to share. We had emailed about some specific things, um, but I just, it still didn't feel, um, those were, a lot of those were some of the ideas I had, and I wanted to let the Spirit really speak to me and then speak through me to you guys. And as I was sitting here praying and reflecting, uh, the Spirit just shoved these three questions kind of right in between my little thoughts, because they were little, you know, they're not great, and, 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 and just convicted me that I needed to answer these questions for myself and then put, you, put the questions to you guys. So, and I'll, I'll preface before I intro these questions by saying that they revolve heavily around this idea of intimacy with God, okay? And this sermon is going to focus heavily on relating to Him and not necessarily the things and responses and actions that you take that flow out of that. So I'm going to be spending less time talking about doing and what you do if you love God and that sort of thing, and a lot more time about what it means to love God and relate to Him and to be intimate with Him, okay? So I want to kind of tell you that up front, um, but I also want to say that I don't think that that back half is less important. You know, the balance of faith and works is super important and something for us all to wrestle with and really be aware of, but what I am saying is I don't have time to go into both, and, I'm, and the Spirit has really called me to focus on this idea of being intimate with God and loving Him um, and trusting Him and knowing Him. So... The three questions that I had to answer and that I want you guys to think about and answer are, do you love me? And, and these are all what God asked me, so I'm like playing the role of God right now. It's like, I'm asking you, which is weird. I probably should never assume that. Um, but do you love me? Do you trust me? And do you know me? And for all you nervous order freaks out there like me that like, didn't write that down because you don't have a title yet and you've got to start at the beginning of your notes, you can just title it like Loving God. Okay? Mark 12, and we're going to jump right into this first one. Do you love me? 
Mark 12, 28-33 says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And the teacher goes on to say, yes, man, that's really good. Well said. You're right in saying that. And he says, to love him with all your heart, in response to Jesus, he's affirming the thing that Jesus said. He says, to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So Jesus says that loving God is the most important commandment. But what does that, what does that look like? Um, you know, it, that can be difficult to pick apart. And so I think perhaps the best way to understand that or get a picture of that is to go look um, at some people who have really loved God in their life. Um, people who, who we can all agree in church tradition can agree that these people really sold out um, followers of Jesus or they really loved God. And look at the things they did. Look at how they thought. Look at how they spoke. So I, uh, we're going to go dig up some really old, interesting Hindu texts, actually, that I wanted to dive in with you guys. Um, and you guys are going to let me do that. Like, no one said anything. We're going to go to the Bible, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys like sleeping or was that cool? Do you want to? Okay. Um, no, we're going to go look at some uh, incredible examples of some people, some of the forefathers and mothers, foremothers. Is that a thing of our faith? I don't know. That sounds weird. So just some of the, the great people that went before us. Um, and we see these people that they really worshiped God. They loved him. They desired him. They wanted to know him more. They wanted to spend time with him. And the first place we're going to go to look at um, we'll just take a look at Jesus, and I'm going to run through some of these uh, pretty quickly. But I guess I'll just start with the first one. So those who love God desire to spend time with him, both now in prayer and later in person. We see a lot of examples of this. Uh, Jesus, in Luke 5.16, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So he was constantly withdrawing and spending time with God in prayer. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And many of the prophets spent significant time um, in solitude, praying, hearing from, um, and talking to, speaking with God. And all these people look forward to being united with God in person. It was something that they all held very dear and was, and was a strong motivator for them to continue the fight. Those who love God worship and praise Him. And David's a great example of this. You can just go you know, read many of the psalms that he wrote. And uh, just the richness of his, his relationship with God, um, I think the way that he praised and worshipped God was, a, was a, a really key and core component of developing that relationship with him. Those who love God, obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So it follows that if we love him, then we will do what he said. We will learn his teaching and we will be obedient to him and his lordship. Those who love God have such a desire for him that they often sacrifice urgent things to be with him or learn more about him. Okay? Luke, 20, uh, or Luke 2, 41 52 um, is the story of Jesus in the temple as a 12-year-old. He's 12 years old and uh, his family's like rolling out to Jerusalem and then it's time to go. And he's like, nah, I'm going I'm to chill here at church. I'll see you guys later. And so he like stays behind, and his, you know, his parents roll out of town, and they're like looking around, like, where's Jesus? 
and, and he's not with them, right? And so they have to like go back to town and they find him in the temple courts like questioning and like interacting with these scholars and the teachers of the law. And, and, and he just, that was where he felt he needed to be. He wanted to be there. And then we have uh, one of, perhaps one of my favorite stories because I really personally connect with it is Luke 10, 38 through 42. And it's the story of Mary, Mary and Martha. And it goes like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. A little tattletale. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. First of all, like, how mad would that make you if that was what Jesus said to you? You know, he like, comes over, and you're like, you know, I'm going like, to get the food out. We're going to put this up. I've got to like, pick up around the house or do all that sort of stuff. And then you know, your sister just kind of walks up, and she's like, pops herself right down at Jesus' feet. And they're like sharing, you know, alive and like having a good old time. And, and you like come up, and you're like, what? I mean, like, we got to get ready. Like, tell her to come help me. And he's like, you are upset about many things. You are. And none of them are worth it. I'd be so mad. I'd be so mad. I'm also a little oversensitive. Um, but Jesus has this, this knack of just kind of like saying how it is and speaking the truth and then kind of letting you deal with that and work, work it out for yourself afterward. Um, but I really connect with this one. And this example of loving God really calls me out in a lot of ways because I enjoy accomplishing tasks and I like to prepare. Um, I also get sidetracked and tunnel vision really easily. And uh, an example of this is, so whenever Brittany and I have guests coming over, like we invite people over for dinner. I think I probably did something ridiculous like this this week. We had Garrett and Erica over on Friday for dinner. I'll like, to be like it's you know, go time in 20 minutes. Okay, like they're going to arrive, and we're just going to try and pick up the house before they get here, right? We got to like make it look like we have some semblance of sanity, organization, or like hygiene in the house. So we're like rushing around trying to like get stuff done, and inevitably, what happens is I will go find something and like to pick up or to put away or something. I will do that, and then one thing will lead to another, and I'm like down this rabbit trail of unproductive tasks as I'm getting ready for someone to come over. And I don't have a good memory for this sort of thing, so I asked Britt like, some examples of, of what, that would, what those were because I just kind of forget. And so I'm texting her, and so this text thread that I printed on here because it was too funny to look at, um, I asked, hey, what's one of those things that I, that I do? I get sidetracked on when I'm doing this in this situation. She says, hmm, you usually pick up one piece of paper and then go file it and take care of all the details regarding that one piece of paper. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's good. Keep it coming. She's like, like research dental insurance. <laughs> Or try to set up our 401k. <laughs> so, like, if I ever invite you over for dinner, just know that, like, Brittany will, you know, like, praise the Lord, Brittany will have the house in order, and I'll have, like, finally settled on some dental insurance. For, like, <laughs> or, like, shuffled around our, you know, retirement savings or something for you. As, you know, to prepare. And, uh... The, the whole idea of this in this Mary Martha story is just that, guys, like, we can't miss the point. You know, like, do the high pay-up activity, activities. Like, don't, Brittany talked about this in one of her sermons recently, uh, don't neglect the one thing, you know? Choose the right thing, the one thing, and then do it. Don't neglect spending time with your Lord in order to do a bunch of things for Him. Okay? 
Or if you're cleaning up the house for company, remember to clean up the house. Don't lose sight of it. So if this is what it looks like to love God, do you love God? Some of you might be feeling really anxious like answering that question. That's totally okay. I mean, that's a, it's like a big question. That's way, that's heavy. The gravity there is um, significant. Um, and, and I'll encourage you, I'm actually going to specifically talk to that at the end. So put that anxiety aside and just try and soberly and objectively kind of catalog that and maybe think about your response a little bit. But I, I do want to deal with that at the end because I don't think that anxiety is going to be a helpful response um, to this. So second, second question, do you trust me? The subtext here is, do you trust me enough to give me honesty and vulnerability? Bless you. And your response to the first question, so do you love me, but do you trust me? Are you going to be honest and vulnerable in how you respond to that first question or in any other part of our relationship? So there's a prerequisite to being honest and vulnerable with God, and that is you first have to be honest and vulnerable with yourself. And there are two things that you'll likely fight as you try to be honest and vulnerable with yourself, and those are pride and fear. Pride prevents us from, it actually prevents us and others as well, because we tend to project that and convince others of what we want them to think about us. Um, It prevents us and others from viewing ourselves accurately and with sober judgment. Um, It makes us look or feel better, but it, it inevitably presents something that is not the truth. And if you can't know and communicate the truth, then you cannot be honest. And I'll look at what Paul says in Romans 12, 3, is that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And fear, fear can cause us to build up walls to hide behind, to keep us safe. Um, And those same walls will prevent us from being vulnerable with people. They protect you, but they also keep people out. Um, And one of the best ways to overcome these fears is is to really just face them down. That's really broad, um, and I know it's not super helpful. I don't have time to get into that. Um, But I really do encourage you to, to come to terms with and face your fears. But... Please do that safely and include wise mentors or friends or professional help in that process. And so when we're talking about being vulnerable and honest with yourself, the most important thing I think I can encourage you um, to do as you pursue that is to just come to terms with who you are. Come to terms with who you are. Find peace with that. doesn't mean you have to stay that way, um, but you need to be able to acknowledge the truth. Because if you attempt to start growing or changing based off of an incomplete or inaccurate understanding of yourself, um, it's, it's going to be a complete time waste. It's, gonna not, it's not going to stick. It's not going to have any real long-term effect. You'll never make real progress. It's sort of like renovating a house that you don't own. You know, you like go to this house and you're like you know, putting in new windows and painting and doing all this cool stuff to it. And you'll never get to live there. That's it, not the house you actually own. So you're doing all this work. Um, and, and you'll never get to experience the joys and, and the fruits of your labor because the place you started working is not the place where you actually live. So, after you learn to be honest and vulnerable with yourself, you can then be honest and vulnerable with God. And I really, really encourage you to be, this was a huge turning point in my relationship with God and with people in general as I learned to be honest and vulnerable with people. And... I want to encourage you to be honest and vulnerable with God, no matter how it makes you look, even if it means you have to say some things that go against propriety as well to him. And what I mean by that um, is that you should let your vulnerability direct your thoughts 
your words and actions instead of your expectations of what you think you should do or say to God. Okay, does that make sense? Let your vulnerability direct your words and actions instead of your expectations of what you think you should say or do. And you can kind of see this in, in, uh, if you read a lot of the Psalms. Many of them are just really honest, vulnerable cries for help. And get to a spot to where you can be that vulnerable in your expression with God. He can handle your anger, your doubt, your anguish, confusion, and fear. And on the flip side, if you struggle with negativity or live primarily in the grip of these negative emotions, uh, being honest and vulnerable might require that you have to acknowledge the positive truth of a situation or that you acknowledge you're being totally ridiculous and you should probably go laugh at yourself a little bit. So even if you aren't sure if you love God, the least you can do is be honest with him about it. Right? This is the only starting point you have and in fact the best place for you to begin. In my life, there are these times where my intimacy with God will kind of like level up. It's like there's a significant change. I experience him in a new way. Um, and my relationship with him grows stronger and deeper. And many of these are preceded by a revelation or conviction that I then share or confess to God. In part of this honesty and vulnerability process. And some examples of these. When I was 12, I realized I was a classic... I have a younger brother, sorry, who's four years younger than me. When I was 12, I realized I was a classic mean big brother. That I was selfish and spiteful and mean and controlling. And... I had to confront these things, and I confessed these things. And uh, I then began to understand God more as I practiced selflessness and love with my little brother. And as an older teenager, I realized that I idolized the idea of having a wife. That, um, and that was hard. I had to tell God this. I had to tell God, who I had committed my whole life to, called Jesus my Lord, that I only actually loved him second best. That was, I mean, gosh, that's really hard. That's really hard. And the grace and discipline that I received after that taught me much about God and the depths of his being. I also would never have come to the understanding I now have of what it means to make Jesus Lord if I, was, if I had not been called to a point of honesty and vulnerability in that way and then had to accept that if the Lord wanted me to be single for the rest of my life, then, that, then I was going to do that. And that was what was in store for me and I could make peace with that and I was okay with that. Um, and I think that's what true lordship looks like. Um, tearing down the idols that you have in your life. And for most of my life, I also practiced honesty and vulnerability with God as I lived in deep depression that I was speaking about earlier. And over a long period of time, God slowly brought me many forms of help and ultimately miraculously healed me of all that. And it's, it's incredible. Um, it has changed my life in some powerful ways. And I was able to better connect with him and his enduring nature, because it was not all at once. It was not fast. It was, it was like 17 years of just kind of bitter fighting. And I was able to balance this enduring nature of God against the, the reality that our God still works miracles and understand him from both perspectives more than I had previously understood him, at least. And in Nashville, when Brittany and I experienced, or when I experienced, when Brittany and I lived in Nashville, and I experienced um, just a a very dark and complete separation from God for about nine months. I finally came to a point where I admitted him into the deepest, darkest cave within my heart that was overrun with bitterness. And he began to heal me, to speak to me again. He rejoiced over having me back. And he filled that cavern with light and truth. And as I reflected on and wrestled with that chapter of my life after the fact, 
I came to an understanding of the ferocity of his love and the gravity of his warnings in Scripture. I learned by experience how far he is willing to go to win me back, even to turning me over to my sins so that I might experience the depravity of it and turn back to him. So do you trust me? And knowing God, which we're going to talk about next, will require that you trust him. Do you know me? This is the last question that I think he, he really wanted me to answer and to ask you guys. Do you know me? And uh, I don't know if you, how many of you guys have ever gone through Experiencing God. It's like a study or a book by Henry and Richard Blackaby and Claude King. Um, it's awesome. But in that book, when speaking of Moses, they say that Moses came to know God by experience as he obeyed God, and God accomplished his work through Moses. Walking with God in trust like we were just talking about, uh, it results in these vivid, real, tangible experiences uh, that deepen your connection to knowledge of and intimacy with God. And ultimately, the string of those, when combined, and the history that that creates is going to be what truly develops intimacy and familiarity with God and grow your faith. And every step that you take to go deeper into that will likely require a correspondingly greater measure of the trust that we were just talking about. I think before we we start thinking about the idea of knowing God, it's important that we have to understand that God deeply desires for us to know him. The Bible is a story about God working to make himself available to us so that we can know him. He desires to be reconciled to us, for us to be reconciled to him. That was the whole point of Jesus, to make a way for us to be reconciled, to know God. But there's also a difference between knowing about and knowing someone or God. Um, and the difference I, is, is basically the difference between being a spouse and being a stalker is probably the best way I can put it. Um, like, a stalker knows a lot about somebody, okay? Maybe more than a spouse. It can be that creepy, okay? I'll go there. But a spouse really knows that person. It really knows that person. And, and those, when you say no in both contexts, it even feels kind of different. So don't get caught up trying to learn and uh, you know, miss the one thing of actually knowing God by learning all you can about him. It's useful, but it's not the whole, it's not the end game. And, and guys, this idea of knowing God, this is where the rubber, rubber really meets the road. It's the stick it out, we're in it for the long run phase of your relationship with him. But it's also by far the most rewarding phase and the most rewarding place you can live the bulk of your relationship with him and with other people. And I've really learned a lot about this through marriage. So, um, like I said, we've been married for over five years now, and we were in dating, right? We were in dating or engaged. We were dating or engaged for two years before that. And um, after the first, like, year or so, uh, we were just kind of over infatuation, I think. I mean, like, correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, like, that, that doesn't last forever. That phase doesn't last forever. And it doesn't last very long, really, in the context of living your life with someone either. And, and infatuation is great. It's good. It feels good. And it actually really does have its uses. Um, it's helpful to have something to motivate you and propel you through and into this next more challenging phase. Um, and Because and that, that phase can be pretty hard. But because the next phase is this weird zone where you're committed to each other, you're like either engaged or newly married, um, but you have no idea what you're doing. It's just weird. You're like, yep, I'm going to do this. I'm in. And you're like, but I, I have... I have absolutely no idea, no idea how to do this. Like pre-engagement counseling, you know, marriage counseling, reading books, all that stuff is really good and really useful and can really give you an edge. But at the end of the day, none of those things are anywhere close to what it's actually like to be a husband. 
Okay? It's just not. Um, and, and, and it's hard. Um, it can be pretty hard. You're learning all about this person, adjusting your life to them, doing life with them, resolving conflict with them, working through that, learning how to communicate with them, learning what, what makes them tick, um, and just this whole, all of a sudden, you're trying to do all these new, complex, difficult things for the first time, all at the same time. And you don't have a ton of meaningful relational collateral yet, and so you're creating it. And that's what you're doing in that phrase. You're really building into the value of this relationship. Okay? And there's not a lot in there already to draw from. Okay? So you just kind of feel like, in some ways, you can, that you're kind of against the world. And just everything feels like you're trying to bust through a brick wall to make a little bit of progress. Sometimes you step backwards, and sometimes you don't make progress. And often it can take several years before that starts paying dividends, before you start to realize you have some collateral there to withdraw upon. And, 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 and that's really when things change and can kind of begin to become more natural and really sweet. And this just depth of relationship and security um, and richness really begins to, to just snowball. And particularly if you keep investing the same way you did for the first few years, it just snowballs. And that phase is what I'm talking about when I talk about knowing God or knowing your spouse, where you've invested heavily through the challenge and through in the face of that, uh, just in the face of that challenge for years, and you didn't stop. So it finally starts paying little dividends, little dividends, and then as you continue to invest, it just grows and grows and grows. And that, guys, is the real sweet spot that I, I desire to be in in all my relationships. And in particular, I've been rewarded by my relationship with God and my relationship with Brittany. Um, I would really encourage you guys to pursue. It's so much better than infatuation. But you've got to stick it out to even get a taste of those first fruits, guys. So for perspective, because um, it always helps me to kind of talk to people about their experience, that phase for me in my relationship with God took about seven years, like that investment phase. I mean, it was hard. It took about seven years. Um, I was about probably, it was right when I was a freshman in college, I think, when I really started, when I really, really learned what it meant to be a true disciple. And, and it was, like, hard. I had to be persistent and very hardworking and persevering to, before that started paying off. Um, but it doesn't have to be that long for you. It might be longer for you, even. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot you straight. But for me, I had a lot of baggage to work through. I had a lot of issues and, and internal struggles that I had to really resolve. Uh, I also... It's much more naturally difficult for me to spend time in prayer, to be in solitude, to reflect, uh, to be still, and to think critically at all. And that really played into why that was very difficult for me. So, do you know God? Where, where are you in that relationship with Him? Do you desire to know God? Or do, you, do you want that sort of relationship with Him? And are you willing to put that work and make that investment into it? And I... I, I left out a lot of my practical points from each of these three questions um, because a lot of them are more universally applicable to all three. So I'm just going to kind of run through those right now. Um, and remember, the three questions were, do you love me, do you trust me, and do you know me? So if you were sleeping, now's a good time to wake up because these are going to be the things you can write down and start doing even if you don't know why you're doing them and maybe it'll help you out a little bit in some way. So, the first and best thing you can do is to wrestle with these questions. Um, and don't just write them down as sermon points, but actually like respond to them. And I know that's probably what like, every person who stands up here and like, gives a sermon says. is like, the best thing you can do is to actually do it. 
You know, and they're not wrong, but I'm going to say it anyways because it doesn't go without saying. And really the second best thing you can do is to just chill. And this is related to my point I want to talk about anxiety briefly for. But just chill, okay? And I have this, and the reason I say that is because I think a lot of times we can get way too intense or emotional or worked up um, when we're trying to deal with and handle these big, heavy questions like this, like, do you love God? Like, oh my gosh, like, what if I don't love God? It means like, I'm not really a Christian. I'm like, well, but I have I been baptized and what does that even come into play? And it's like, am I going to go to hell? Am I going to go to hell? It's like, you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's real. I mean, that's as real as it gets. But anxiety is not going to give you an edge in that. Like, wrestle with that. But let it be what it's going to be. And uh, my life has been significantly changed by this one experience I'll share with you. When we were... When we were shooting uh, Brit's, my wife Brittany's, uh, music video for Confetti in Nashville, um, it, was a pre- it was like a pretty big production. It was pretty cool. There were like people running around everywhere and all these like, I mean, it was like the real deal. And, um, you know, they're like treating her like a queen and like fanning her. And, stuff. and, um, and uh, so <laughs> I'm just trying to set the stage. So this, this, this is like, this is the type of thing you're working with all these entertainers and these people in the entertainment support industry and everything's just kind of chaotic. Multiple people are sort of in charge. You know, things are going wrong. A lot of things didn't really get planned and it all just seems to be like the normal operating mode for them. So I'm over here. I like to have a plan. I like to be, I have all the details worked out. I have all the details memorized myself and I know exactly who's doing what and everything's prepared beforehand. So I'm like freaking out. Like this is just super stressful to me. And I'm here, and I'm not in control of any of it, so I'm just kind of walking around, seeing like, well, that didn't get done. Or like, well, we didn't book that location. And, and they're all just like, yeah, look, we'll make it work. And the weird thing is, they actually do. It all comes together in the end, which was its own lesson in itself. Um, but just watching how this director would work was just incredible. Because this guy would just kind of roll with the punches. That's the only way I can put it. He would just roll with the punches. And at the end of the day, it would be what it was going to be, and it would be finished. And it might not be what you set out to do, but it solved the problem or got you, in general, where you wanted to go. Okay? And so there's this one girl, this one crew member. Her name is Alex. And she was an intern that worked with this film company. And, um, man, she was a hoss. She was so awesome. She was getting stuff done. She was handling things. She was taking initiative. And she's pretty intense. Like, she's just, yeah, like, what needs to be done? Okay? And, like, yeah, we'll go do that right now. Okay? And so there's this moment where we're on top of this parking garage, and everything is just high stress. And, and, you know, you only have, like, two or three minutes to get shots with the perfect lighting and all this stuff. So we're in one of these moments. And, and they're, like, setting up for this shot. And the sun's going down, and golden hour's about to be over. And they literally, there's, like, maybe three or four minutes we have to get this shot in. Okay? So you only get one chance, and he's like, the director, Gabe, is standing on this ladder, and he needs more light in a certain area, so he's like, Alex, reflector, over here, and like, go get a reflector and shine it, basically, and, and, and he's like, giving out orders, and, and this is like, this is tense, like, this is, it's coming down to the wire, and this has to work, okay, and so Alex is like, she's like, doing something, and she just drops it, and she's like, yeah, okay, I'm on it, and she like, starts running, <laughs> And Gabe, who's on this ladder, just goes, whoa, 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 everybody stop. And like, which first of all blew my mind, because I'm like, no, Alex, go. <laughs> you know? And he's like, stop, Alex, don't be a freak. Walk over there, grab it, and bring it back. We're all going to be okay. <laughs> and, like, and like, time just kind of stood still for a minute for me, because I'm like, I'm like, no, Alex, like, freak out. 
as fast as you can and come back because this has to work. And he like took 30 seconds to like chastise with humor. It was beautifully handled. Just this and kind of call out in a way that everyone could laugh. Like, don't be a freak. Like, let it be what it's going to be. Go do it and bring it back. And if we end up missing at the end of the day, we'll find something else, you know? And that just, I mean, like, gosh, that just blew my mind. And it changed me forever. It really did. I mean, guys, like, I am a different person because I just didn't know you could do that. I didn't know that was an option. I thought, like, it had to be perfect, had to be done, had to be done right, on time, or else, I don't know, I'd die or something. I never really followed that through to the end. But... Just kind of seeing someone play out and making a different decision to like just let it be what it's going to be, I was like, didn't know that that was an option. <laughs> so, anyways, so this is my second point. I wish we had that on video of that moment, but I don't think we do. Um, so, don't be a freak. Observe the truth. Observe the truth of you, yourself, or your situation. Make peace with it. Let it be what it's going to be. Choose a response and respond. Lather, rinse, repeat. Live your life. Don't let situations determine your state of being, but let your state of being be determined by your response to it. Anxiety is not going to give you an edge. Go read Philippians 4. Um, another point, practical point. Apply this idea of don't be a freak to, to do you love God, okay? Like I said earlier, that's a big, heavy question, okay? Yes? No? Maybe your answer is more complex with that. You don't know. If you don't know, think about it. Just do it. You don't have to be really intense about it. Um, but just don't be a freak. And as you're wrestling with that, remember to be honest and vulnerable. Okay? Even if that's hard. If you don't love God, but you want to, you need to tell Him so. Ask Him to soften your heart. Ask Him to give Him a desire for you. It sounds kind of weird, but that's kind of how it works. And sort of that's how it works in marriage, too, is I have to tell Brittany what I need or what I want. You know, it would be awesome if she could just, like, guess and be right all the time. And that's, like, real true romance, according to kind of pop culture. Um, but that's not how it works. If Brittany or I need or want something, like, we have to teach each other how to love us um, in a lot of ways. There are things that cover over that and go above and beyond that. And we're trained disciples. We know how to love people as well. That comes into play, too. But ultimately, if I'm, like, mad or I need something, it's kind of on me. And, and God, similarly, can change your heart. He can give you a desire. He can help cultivate that in your life. Um, also ask him to bring light anything that is getting in the way of you loving him. Another point I would say is to invite people into this whole process with you and really consider professional help if you have deep wounds or heavy baggage. Um, you don't want to be stuck longer than you can persevere in that really tough phase. So get help. Be open to whatever you might find on this journey, guys. You might discover some really, really alarming things about yourself as you're not freaking out and just facing the truth and just getting to know yourself a little bit. You're going to have to process through some pretty painful experiences maybe you've been avoiding, but embrace these things. And remember to renovate the house you own, right? You've got to acknowledge who you really are and where you're starting from. So work hard and persevere. Are you lazy? You know, does that question stress you out too? Don't be a freak. Are you lazy or not? Okay? If you don't want to be lazy anymore, decide to, do, to be different. Pray, and then work really hard to, to, to like allow the Spirit to change you in that. Okay? It's, I know it's simple for me to say, and I, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to make these things seem simpler or easier than they, than they are, because they're not. Some of these things are incredibly difficult. But at the end of the day, it can be that simple. It can be that simple, but also incredibly difficult. 
So be realistic also. This journey takes a long time. I kind of told you about my own experience. And you need to expect your progress to take the form of baby steps, okay? Baby steps. You need to expect long periods of no progress or even stumbling backwards in between each of those baby steps. Um, and don't expect amazing things out of yourself. <laughs> you can expect amazing things out of God, but don't expect them out of yourself, okay? And there's, there, uh, perhaps the most important thing in that idea, though, is to never give up. I mean, most of the battle is won by just showing up. If you can show up with God for years in a row, the things that he can do through you are, I mean, are just incredible. They're, they have no bounds. And lastly, as you're being honest and vulnerable with God, there's going to come a point when you must deal with anger, hate, or bitterness, or some other negative emotion toward him. And I think it's really, really, really important that you do. Don't bottle it up. But be ready for some discipline because the Lord disciplines those that he loves. Okay? And there's, I'll say a few more things about this. Um, I think that you need to be concerned, more concerned about breaking his heart than you are about hurting his feelings. If that makes sense. Be more concerned about breaking his heart than hurting his feelings. He already knows how you feel and what you think, by the way. Sorry. Spoiler alert. So it's really not... It's really not going to catch them off guard. Um, but you need to be oh so careful with pride and with pain in these exchanges. Okay? I mean, I can't stress that enough. Be very careful with your pride and be very careful and measured with your pain. Often in Scripture, we see God personally orchestrating the downfall of the proud. It's a big deal. Be very careful with what you attribute to God and what you attribute to yourself. And that's what I mean by your pride. The type of pride we're talking about here is a type of pride that separates us from him or robs him of his glory. It's an, I've got this, or look what I've done, or can do, or have, or am doing. Um, it's that mentality. Ultimately, it's okay to feel good about the things that God is truly proud of you for. But make sure you do not start claiming progress or accomplishments that belong to him as your own. And regarding pain, and I'm going to end with this because I think this is, I think this is that important. I urge you, urge you, like I implore you to not let your pain distort your perception or memories of God, okay? Or of other people, actually. I mean, that's a great thing to do in all, in, in, in all your relationships. Do not, do not let pain distort your perception and memories of God or a person. Separate those things. And then vigilantly defend your relationship with God against bitterness, Okay, so that's that's all I have for you guys. Um, I'm going to pray um, from Ephesians 1, 17 through 19 to close this out. And uh, whoever is supposed to do something after me, I guess now you can start getting ready to do that. Um, but God, I ask that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people and your incomparably great power for us who believe. And I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. 
We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.